Welcome to Winston and Strawn's Let's Talk Lending podcast. I am Jonathan Brightville. I'm a partner in Winston's white collar practice, chair of its environmental litigation and enforcement defense group, and member of Winston's multidisciplinary ESG advisory team. And I am delighted to be joined today by Jason Lewis, who is a partner in our New York office and focuses his practice on derivatives and structured products. Today, we're gonna be discussing carbon offsets and in particular, how you can use carbon offsets to achieve your business and compliance objectives. Now, Jason, this is a very, very timely discussion that we're gonna have here because we've seen a real growth in the past year of corporate consciousness on issues of environmental social governance. And we also have the COP26 climate summit going on in Glasgow, Scotland, where a number of sources are speculating that one of the most significant achievements that may still come out of the COP26 summit is an international rule book on the trading of carbon credits. So very timely, let's get into this. And maybe we should start with a baseline for people though, and talk a little bit about what carbon credits and carbon offsets are. So carbon offsets are tradable instruments that represent a ton of avoided carbon dioxide or carbon dioxide equivalent. Carbon offsets are typically developed by a project sponsor that develops and operates a project to remove or avoid greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and that project receives compensation for the sale of the offsets. Uh, so for sponsors of projects that aim to uh, reduce greenhouse gas emissions, the sale of those offsets are an important source of carbon financing. And uh, I would distinguish those carbon offsets from carbon credits or carbon allowances. Those credits or allowances are uh, compliance instruments that are used to meet obligations in a cap and trade scheme like the European Union uh, emissions trading system or California's system under AB 32 or in the Northeastern United States, uh, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. So um, uh, another, another set of terms that you might hear in conversations about this topic are uh, that carbon offsets are usually done on a voluntary basis, meaning that companies are doing that um, um, for, as you said, because of their growing environmental consciousness or uh, perhaps a project sponsor uh, is looking to earn money off uh, the sale of those offsets. Jason, help our listeners understand then who uses carbon credits and who uses carbon offsets? So first, I think it's necessary to distinguish between carbon credits and carbon offsets. Carbon credits are used where an entity is subject to a cap and trade scheme and has uh, a compliance obligation to surrender a certain number of those uh, credits or allowances uh, under the rules of that scheme. A company would use offsets, on the other hand, if it wishes to voluntarily balance its carbon footprint against its emissions. 
Um, a lot of companies are doing that these days uh, due to a greater sense of environmental stewardship or consciousness. And a lot of companies have made net zero pledges. I, I, think it's, uh, I think it's worthwhile to take a minute explaining what net zero means exactly. It doesn't mean zero emissions. Really what it means is that um, a company has committed to offset and or balance its carbon footprint against reductions of emissions that would happen elsewhere. So I, I like to think of it, and I've heard a lot of people use this metaphor, like a bathtub. Net zero is the state where the water level in the bathtub isn't going up or down, even though the water is on and the drain is open. That's a great metaphor, and thank you, Jason. So as we understand it then, so in the in a credit trading scheme, you'll have electric generating companies. Some are going to be below a target level of emissions, and then they'll generate credits and sell those over within the confines of that scheme to someone else who has generated excess emissions above a target level. But then who is on the project side of a carbon offset scheme? So typically the project side is a developer that wants to earn money by reducing emissions and selling offsets to a third party. But uh, I think it's important to remember that there are many ways to earn offsets. So among others, a project sponsor can be a landowner that wishes to engage in a reforestation project, uh, can be a nonprofit or other non-governmental entity that wishes to earn funds for their organization, uh, could also be uh, an owner of a manufacturing facility or an electric generation facility that sees a way to reduce emissions and thereby um, make their processes more efficient or more modern. Now, often, uh, these project sponsors are in emerging markets uh, where those companies have an opportunity to earn revenues or improve their processes by selling offsets uh, to buyers in more developed companies, excuse me, uh, more developed countries. And uh, therein, uh, offsets are an important source of carbon finance. So it's important to remember that here in the US, for example, we have renewable portfolio standards that allow renew renewable developers, uh, developers of renewable energy facilities uh, to generate renewable energy certificates and then sell those certificates to um, entities that have compliance obligations. Uh, but in emerging markets, uh, they don't have those renewable port sta portfolio standards and offsets can be an important revenue stream for developers just like, just like uh, RECs are here in the US that help those projects get built. Now, where do the standards come from by which these carbon offset programs are developed and administered? So most of the existing standards are nonprofit organizations. Uh, those organizations have developed pathways or methodologies, uh, think of them like recipes, by which companies can earn carbon offsets. Those uh, standards organizations also maintain registries of the credits that they have issued. So in the area of ESG and in measuring performance, 
there are all sorts of voluntary standard setting entities that are used by companies to try to uh, measure and then report to their investors and customers and lenders and other stakeholders how they're doing in the against their ESG goals, right? So, uh, who is it that uh, that is putting out the these offset standards, and and how do do uh, companies that want to engage in offsets know what's the right one to use? So there are a number of these organizations in existence. Uh, some of the notable ones are the Climate Action Reserve, the Gold Standard, the Voluntary Carbon Standard, and Plan Vivo. Um, so companies purchasing offsets or companies developing offsets want to stand behind the integrity of those offsets. And so often it just makes sense to, to uh, go with one of the largest and most reputable organizations. Now, in particular, offset developers also need to think about pick, picking a standard that has a methodology, again, a, a recipe or a process that will be most advantageous to it in uh, developing and issuing those credits or best fits the story that they're trying to tell as to how they're reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, there are, it's worth noting, some standard setting organizations that specialize in particular types of organizations, and often those organizations will have more detailed or more varied uh, methodologies to earn offsets, which can be important for a developer. So who is doing this? What companies or entities or, or individuals are out there purchasing these carbon offsets? So carbon offsets have been available in the market for some time, but that market has been dormant in recent years. Uh, however, many companies are purchasing offsets now in an effort to mitigate their carbon footprints. And as a result of the net zero pledges that I talked about uh, a couple minutes ago. For example, a recent study by Ecosystem Markets found that offset volumes and the value of traded offsets were already hitting annual records as of August of 2021. So interest in uh, offsets is uh, is growing and uh, intensifying lately. In particular, um, again, offsets are receiving that attention because of the net zero commitments. and. For companies that have made those commitments, often just due to the state of technology right now, the most efficient way to make those reductions is by buying offsets. So for example, you can think of an airline um, that wouldn't necessarily be able to um, purchase enough sustainable aviation fuel to fuel all of its flights or even, even uh, many of its flights these days, but that airline can uh, pay someone else by uh, purchasing carbon offsets to say, um, redevelop a forest. So earlier in the, our discussion, you referenced the need of entities that want to engage in car carbon offset purchases to engage in diligence. And, you know, I presume that stems from the fact you know as a litigator you know the the uh and uh you're familiar with the law requires that uh 
that people act reasonably and responsibly in various circumstances and not kind of stick their head in the ground and entirely rely on the entity that they're purchasing that's you know, supposedly get providing and creating offsets you know for those offsets so i assume that's part of the diligence effort but what are some of the other risks and issues that buyers of carbon offsets should be thinking about before engaging in these transactions so many of the risks are the same as ordinary commercial transactions companies purchasing offsets need to negotiate appropriate documentation and they need to consider things like credit risk and market risk and settlement risk uh, but in addition companies do need to engage in diligence to determine who they're buying from and exactly what they're buying uh, offsets just by their nature are a little bit conceptual the buyer is essentially paying the seller to make sure that greenhouse gas redu reductions uh, are done on its behalf. And there are processes in place to make sure that the offset is what's called additional, meaning that the reduction wouldn't have happened absent the offset transaction. Um, and then those uh, reductions are verified in the future as they actually occur, just to make sure that those reductions uh, actually take place. But buyers need to understand that process and they need to understand what the limitations of that process are and what offsets do and don't represent. And, and above all, they need to be able to communicate to their stakeholders um, what that is and that all these purchases are additional. So as a white collar practitioner, one of the things that I'm constantly talking with clients about is their compliance mechanisms and programs because when uh, mistakes are made they obviously want those things to be in the best possible shape for when government regulators um, start asking questions about how they're maintaining compliance what do the compliance obligations look like for those who are engaged in credit offset, carbon offset purchases, and uh, what should they be keeping in mind? So here as well, I think it's important to distinguish between credits and offsets. Um, credits, those are typically purchased by covered entities, um, entities that are covered by a cap and trade scheme, where those entities have a compliance obligation to tender a certain number of allowances. And there are regulations around what they have to do, and there's usually a regulator appointed to uh, supervise that cap and trade scheme. And, and I think all those regulatory obligations are, are, are a little bit different from the typical buyer of carbon offsets. For a, a purchaser of carbon offsets, those are typically done on a voluntary basis, again, out of a sense of environmental consciousness. But companies that do know do need to bear a few things in mind. So first of all, uh, public companies have the obligation to disclose material risks and provide truthful and accurate information in their public filings. So companies that uh, public companies that purchase offsets need to make sure that their disclosures about those offsets are true and accurate. Uh, the SEC is currently developing rules about 
uh, communicating climate risks. And I would expect those rules to address how companies communicate about offsets as well. But in addition to that, even for companies that aren't public, the Federal Trade Commission has issued what it calls its green guides. Uh, contrary to name, it's not a guide, but rather a binding rule that's intended to prevent customers from being deceived about the products that they, that they buy. Um, and, and now the FTC has developed a track record of enforcing those green guides against companies that make misleading claims about the sustainability or environmental friendliness uh, of the products. Now, of course, in addition to all that, um, companies face potential liability from private plaintiffs over incorrect or misleading communications. So um, companies have to be on the watch for that as well. Uh, so then in, in summary, if companies do choose to make disclosures about their carbon offsets, um, those disclosures need to be correct. They need to be demonstrable. And um, offset purchasers should be very careful about making claims that their products are net zero or emissions free or something to that effect. Um, you can certainly see why with uh, all those incentives, a lot of the communications that companies are making about their offset purchases are very uh, general and aspirational in nature. Yeah, it's a great point, Jason. There's a lot in the FTC's green guides that are relevant to companies that are engaged in climate claims or sustainability claims and the like. There's the, the carbon offset guidance and guidance about the claiming that your products have been made with renewable energy or renewable materials and the like. So there's a lot there uh, for uh, entities to keep in mind in addition to the guidance around the, the carbon offset question. Well, great. Uh, this has been an excellent conversation. Uh, thank you, Jason, uh, for joining me today. And I thank all of our listeners for taking the time to listen to our Let's Talk Lending podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast via Apple iTunes or Google, or by simply visiting the Winston & Strawn website. For more insights on the latest market updates and trends in the finance practice area. Thank you all.